This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Let's say welcome to everybody. I appreciate uh, you all being here and, and uh, edifying me and edifying my family. I definitely appreciate the prayers, um, all the prayers that's going on. And, and I continually pray that the things that we study will first and foremost be in strict accordance to God's Word. And also that it will be useful to you and beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. For a little while today, I want to talk about uh, the title of the lesson is To Whom Shall We Go? Um, I've given this lesson a while back. It's probably been about a year and a half ago. Um, we're going to go through this again. We're going to start out with the book of John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with you. I'll have the verses up here. Uh, John chapter 6, we're going to be reading in verse 66. To kind of set the context of a little bit what's going on, is Jesus had begun his ministry. He was teaching many things, and, and he had developed quite a following. There was a lot of people that were following him because he was, he was healing their sick. He was feeding them, and, and he was just getting a lot of attention. So a lot of people were following at a time. Then he started teaching stuff that was a little bit harder for some people to grasp and to receive. Um, when he started teaching these harder subjects, uh, a lot of people decided to turn away from him, and they wouldn't follow him anymore. That's where we're going to begin in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 66. It says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Many of his disciples turned away, so Jesus asked the apostles if they're also going to turn away. Are they also going to forsake him and, and go after someone else? Simon asked the perfect question. Where would we go? You know, Mark just led a, a great song that really plays a lot into this lesson. Where can we go but to the Lord? And that's what we're going to answer today. Is if not Christ, then who? If we're not going to follow Christ, then who will we follow? We do need to realize all of us are following somebody all the time. Whether we realize it or not, we can also think of this as influence. We're always being influenced by somebody all the time. If we're not going to be influenced by Christ and allow ourselves to be influenced by Him, then who are we going to be influenced by? Or, maybe it's better said, who are we allowing to keep us from following after Christ? Who are we allowing to stop us from that walk with Him? One thing that we want to look at, is we do know, we've read this many times, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When you look at that, it's pretty clear to see that Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is singular. That is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's only one way to heaven, that's through Christ. I've heard it said many times, I'm sure you've heard it said this before too, is that we're all going to heaven, we're just taking different paths to get there. That is false. There is only one path to heaven, and that path is through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. The first question I want to ask is, why is Christ the only one? Why is He the only way? And He's the only truth, and He's the only life. Why? Why is it? Well, the first thing to look at is He is the only true Son of God, the only one. When you look in the book of Matthew chapter 17, we have a time of what we call the transfiguration. What was going on is Jesus had taken a few apostles up to a high mountain, and he was transfigured when he was there, and they saw the apostles saw Jesus with Moses and Elias. 
So if you think about it, the apostles were with him, and all of a sudden this great light shined about, and, and Jesus was sitting there, and Jesus was talking to Moses and Elias. And you had the apostles, they were witnessing this. So after the time, the apostles wanted to build a tabernacle for each one at, at that place, on the high mountain. They wanted to build a tabernacle for Moses, they wanted to build one for Elias, and they wanted to build one for Jesus. So they obviously could see the importance of Jesus. When you think about the, the Moses represented the old law, and then you think about Elias, he represented the prophets. Well, now they could see that Jesus was of the same significance. He represented something because they wanted to build a tabernacle for him. So they could see the authority that Christ brought. But God tells them that they are now to listen to Jesus. So when you look at that, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice came out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What God was telling the apostles at this time is that you could see Moses, you could see Elias, and that, that they had always followed the law, and that they had always followed the prophets. Now God is telling them, This is my Son, and listen to him. Now it's time for us to listen to Christ. So Jesus is the only true Son of God. The second way of why He is the only one is He's the only one who fulfilled all the prophecies that we have from the Old Testament. You know, there's a book that I came across, and it's, it says, it, the book is called, What Are the Odds? And it talks about what are the odds of this happening, what are the odds of that happening. It has all these different things, and, and it's this guy who's, who runs a lot of stats and a lot of math, and he, he basically tells you these are the odds of this happening. Well, one of the things he looked at is he looked at just eight of the, the prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. And the, he asked the question, what are the odds that one person could fulfill these eight prophecies that he chose? And that could be prophecies that he was born in, in Bethlehem and that he was born during this time. And he had King Herod come and kill all the babies in, in Israel. So all these different prophecies that were fulfilled during this time of Christ. So he just looked at eight of them. Here's the odds. It's one out of every 10 to the power of 17. So what that is, that's one in 100 quadrillion. I don't know about any of you. I've never used that number until I started looking at this lesson. Here's what that looks like. That is one in 100 quadrillion. That is 17 zeros after one. That's a lot of zeros. To put that in a little bit of context, the population of the world roughly right now is about 7 billion. That's 7 billion compared to 100 quadrillion. Okay, so here's what that means. If you were to take 14,285,714 fully populated Earths, we have the Earth of 7 billion people, you take over 14 million fully populated Earths and you just pick one individual, then that one is the odds that he could fulfill these eight prophecies. Most people would say that's virtually impossible. Well, the fact that we know from historical records, not even just the Word of God that we have from other secular writings like Josephus and other things, that we have all these historical records that Christ didn't only just fulfill eight of these prophecies, He fulfilled over 300. Now, my brain is not good enough to do that math, but it's a lot. The, the odds of 1 in 100 quadrillion just to fulfill eight prophecies and cross-filled over 300. Another way to look at that and what, what the book said, if you go through that book, it says if you take a silver dollar, which is roughly this big, a silver dollar, and you pile it two feet high, and then you have that pile stretched all across the state of Texas, 
And then you set a guy, and you put him, let's say, in Dallas, and you put a blindfold on him, and you say, walk out wherever you want and pick up one of those silver dollars. That one would represent Christ fulfilling those eight prophecies. It's pretty much insane. And most people would tell you it's virtually impossible that that could happen. However, it did happen. And Christ is the one that fulfilled those over 300 prophecies. And he's the only one to be able to do that. So when we say Christ is the only way, that's two ways why. He's the only Son of God, and He's the only one that could fulfill all these prophecies. So the next thing, the next reason why He is the only way, is He is the only one that can offer us pure blood to wash away our sins. If you have your Bibles with you, I don't have this on the screen, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to read the entire chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then verily the first covenant, and also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. What you have here is a picture of the Old Testament, the old law of what they were supposed to be doing to have uh, forgiveness of sins or to push their sins forward a year. In verse 3, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second tabernacle went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which we were offered both gifts and services that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now let's stop right there. So after looking at the first 10 verses, you can see that he is picturing the old law, the old covenant, and how they were supposed to have the high priest go into the holiest of all. When you look at that in verse 8, it says, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So what he's saying is this was a foreshadow, this was a picture of things to come. Now obviously we know that this is Christ that it's referring to. So let's continue in verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, and that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the First Testament was dedicated without blood. 
For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And also all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into a holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear into the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the holy priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." Now, I know that was a long reading, but I think it was necessary to really get the point across. The Old Testament and the Old Law was showing a foreshadow of the more perfect things to come. And Christ is the only one who fulfilled those more perfect things with His perfect blood. Now, think about this for, just for a minute. How many thousands of years did they have the old tabernacle and they had the high priest go in once a year and offer a blood sacrifice that would just push their sins forward? It wouldn't give them forgiveness of sins. It would only push their sins forward for a year. How many thousands of years did that have to happen? And then when Christ came, the only true Son of God, the only one that could offer pure blood, unspotted from their world, with no sin whatsoever, He came and did once. He died once and offered that pure blood for us that washes away all sins from the beginning of time to the end of time. He's the only one that can do that. Now let's think about that a little bit further. Do you remember when Christ was up on the mountain and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and then the devil came and he tempted him and he tempted him with all these different sins? And, and Christ was at a weak state at that point physically because he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. What would have happened if Christ would have just succumbed to just one of those sins? If he had just one sin on his record, he wouldn't be able to offer the pure blood, would he? Then we would have no hope. He is the only one, he's the only individual of all times that's able to offer this pure and per perfect blood that gives us hope of forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, it says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. In verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Christ is the only one that can ever do that. So when he says he is the way and the truth and the life, he's the only one that can offer it. And he's the only one that can stand at God for you and make forgiveness of your sins. And finally, the fourth reason why Christ is the only one is he's the only one who's defeated death by himself in resurrection. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. 
Peter is talking, and this is what we call, uh, when Peter is giving the first gospel uh, sermon, and he's telling them that you have cru crucified Christ, and Christ was raised up and he defeated death. Since Christ defeated death, he gives us the opportunity that we can defeat death as well. And he's the only one that can offer that. So Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So remember, if we're not going to follow Christ, if we're not going to follow Him that is the only one that can offer us eternal salvation, who are we going to follow? Who are you going to choose to put your trust in? Well, so for a little while, let's talk about who some do choose to follow if they're not going to follow Christ. The first one is they'll follow other teachers or preachers. Many people today will choose different teachers than just purely following the words of Christ. And sometimes that looks a, looks a little bit more subtle than you think. It could be that instead of going to the Word of God and saying that this is what Christ said and this is the Word of God and what I should do, instead they will answer a question by, well, my preacher said this. That is choosing to follow your preacher instead of choosing to follow the words of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When you think about people following other individuals, this is nothing new that we have today. This was 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing. And Paul says, some of you are saying that you follow after Paul, and some of you are saying you follow after Apollos. And they were making these cliques, and they were making these divisions among themselves. Now, obviously, we can look out in the community around us and, and all over the world, and how many different churches, how many different denominations, how many different names can we find? I'd venture to say it's almost unfeasible to count. There's a lot. Let's replace some of those names with what Paul said. Some of them were saying, I am of Paul, and some were saying, I am of Apollos. What if we say, well, some of them were saying that I am of, of Joseph Smith, or I'm of John Calvin, or I'm of Joel Osteen, or I follow preaching so-and-so down the street. It's all over the place. When you, even when you think about the word denomination, I'm sure all of you have gotten this question before. I know I have countless times. When you say you go to church, they say, well, what denomination are you? When you think about the word denomination, think back to your school days. One of the first things that you learned for division was the word a common denominator. You want to find a common denominator. That, that word denominator or denomination simply means a division. Now, what did Paul want for us and what does Christ want for us? He wants unity. He doesn't want division, right? There should not be any type of denomination. When you think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature. Christ desires that we be unified, not divided, that we be unified through Him, that we all follow after Him. Well, quite frankly, some people are choosing to follow other teachers or other preachers or other uh, gospels or, or other doctrines instead of just following after the words of Christ. Did you know, I was doing a little bit of research, that there are over 10 million people who watch Oprah's show daily. 
Now, I know all of you know who Oprah is, and whether you like her or don't like her is ir irrelevant. There's over 10 million people who watch her show daily, and many of them will say that they get the majority of their spiritual influence from Oprah. And in fact, that there was a survey done recently, and it showed that 33% of these people that they surveyed said Oprah had more influence over their spiritual beliefs than their parents, their pastors, or their teachers. 33%, that's a third. So if you think about a third of the population and how big of a population that she has that follows her, a third of them say that she has more spiritual influence over their beliefs than anybody else. That's astounding. When you think about one celebrity who's on TV and has a talk show that has a spiritual influence over people. In fact, she actually started this new show recently, and I believe it's called Believe. I don't remember for sure. But basically, the premise of the show is she travels all around the world, and she interviews, and she looks at all these different religions, all these different beliefs, these different doctrines. And the point of the show is for her to say that all of these are valid, that they're all valid beliefs, they're all valid doctrines, that, that they're all right. It's just whatever you feel to be right. So let's look at a couple things that Oprah teaches. One thing that she teaches is that God is not a higher being. God is not a higher being, but instead, God is a force within us all. It's, it's a force inside yourself. And here's what she says. This is a quote. Look within you and find yourself from within. Find that God consciousness. That's God. She also said that Jesus did not come to earth to die on the cross. That was not his purpose. It was a fluke. That should have never happened, but it did. That wasn't his purpose to die on the cross. Now, we just read in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, do you think that that was God's purpose from the beginning of time, that Jesus would come and die on the cross? Absolutely. But she teaches that it's not. It's not his purpose to come die on the cross, but his purpose was to teach us how to find ourselves by looking inside ourselves. Now, I want you to think about that logic just for a little bit. What kind of road does that lead people down? If God is in a force with inside yourself, and Jesus, our Savior, came to, to teach us how to find ourselves from within, what is the point to repent? What's the point to turn to God as your only Savior if God is within inside of you? What's the point of reading God's Word if you're supposed to just look inside yourself and do whatever you feel and whatever you believe? That's what she teaches. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, "...study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed." Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we read this verse a lot of times. We talk about study to show thyself approved. Let's continue on. In verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and has overthrown the faith of some. We look a lot to say, study thy shelf approved. If you continue on, it says, study yourself so that you can shun profane and vain babblings. When you hear these profane and vain things coming from these false teachers and preachers, do you have the ability to shun them? Do you have the ability to recognize that that is not correct? If someone says this, this thing that pleases a lot of people's ears, which is find God with inside of yourself, find that force which is God's consciousness, can you recognize that that's a load of baloney, that that is all fake? Can you recognize that? If you can't, you go back to verse 15, study to show yourself approved. Maybe we need to get in the book a little bit more. 
So sometimes we tend to follow these false teachers or false preachers. And it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 89, it says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than the things that you have received, let him be recursed. This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. It was so important for him that he says it twice. And he even says it from himself. If I say anything unto you that is in contradiction to what I've already taught, let me be accursed. And he says it twice. You think it's important that we make sure that we listen to what Christ says, his gospel, his teaching, not anybody else, and let that person be accursed. The second category that people will tend to follow if they're not following after Christ, we just look at preachers and teachers. The second one is family and friends. Compare those who choose to follow family and, and friends instead of following God. You know, we study the gospel with people, and, and we do it pretty often. Some will go to the point, when you can study the gospel, you can lay it out. The gospel is very clear. The Bible is very clear and very simple to understand if you will just open your eyes and open your heart to receive it. Now, some people, they will hear it, and they will understand it. And I've actually had this said to me multiple times. They will say, I know what it says, but if I agree with it, then that means my past family, those family members who raised me up and they believed a different way, that means that they were wrong if I agree with what the Bible says. So in essence, what they're saying is instead of choosing to follow after the words of Christ, they're following after family members who are already deceased. One thing to keep in mind is what about all the family members that are still living, that you still have an, an opportunity to impact? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6 through 8, it says, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from, the end of one, from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken to him, neither shalt thou I pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. Let's look at the, that verses for just a couple minutes. Basically, in, in verse 6, he's saying, If anybody, even the closest people to you that have a, a strong influence over you, your, your brother, your sister, your daughters, your dads, your moms, anybody, if they say, Let us not follow after the words of God, whether they do it openly and bluntly, or whether they do it subtly and secretly, don't follow after them. Stay true to God. What God wants is you to follow Him. God wants you to obey Him, what, what He said, not anybody else. And hopefully, you'd have the opportunity to influence them to follow God as well. Think about that family member that's still living. Think about the opportunity that you have to help them. If you see the words of, of God and you see the words of Christ in the, in the Bible, and you know what it says and you know you should believe it, Instead of following after deceased members who they've already had their, their opportunity to make their choices, think about the choice you need to make for yourself and the choice of the, of the people that you can still influence and help them follow after God as well. You know, we have an example of this, which is in Acts chapter 16. If you remember the story, what's going on, you've got Paul and Silas and that they're in prison. 
Now, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're, they're chained up, and there's a lot of other prisoners there. And then the earthquake comes, and it looses all the chains and all the bands. And then they could have escaped, but they didn't. And the prison keeper was going to kill himself. Do you remember the story? The prison keeper was going to kill himself because if he had let any of the prisoners escape, then he was going to die. Well, they stopped him. They said, don't kill yourself. Don't do yourself any harm. We're still here. So think about just for a minute, what do you think the background of that prison keeper was? Now, Christianity was still really new at this point. And in fact, they had thrown Paul and Silas in jail because they were Christians. Do you think the background of the prison keeper, his parents and his aunts and uncles and his grandparents, do you think that they followed Christ? Highly doubt it. They probably never heard of him, right? Well, let's look at the prison keeper and let's look at what he chose to do when this happened. Acts chapter 16, verse 32 through 34 says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The prison keeper took the right opportunity and he did the right thing. Instead of thinking about his background and how he was raised and what his parents believed and grandparents and aunts and uncles and all these things, instead, he chose to follow after God. And he used that to influence his house and his whole family that were still living chose to follow after God as well. He chose to change his family tree forever because he would follow after God and he would influence them to follow after God as well. We have the opportunity to do the same. We can either go down the same road if your background is not following after God or if it's not following after, after the Bible. You can either choose to go down that same path and just keep going over and over and over or you can use that to make a stop and change your family tree and influence them to follow after God forever. It's, it's a choice that we all have. So we've talked about how people who don't follow Christ, they choose to follow after different preachers or teachers, or they choose to follow after different family or friends. The third one is that people choose to follow after is their own self-interest. Some people will follow what they feel is right or what they, they just want to do, quite frankly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When you look at that word, deny yourself, in the Thayer's concordance, the Thayer's has that word deny as to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself, and one's own interest. Forget your own interest and look to fulfill the interest of Christ. That's what Christ is expecting. If you're going to follow after him, don't do the things you want to do. Do the things that I teach you to do. It's what Christ is teaching us all. When you think about people following after their own ways, there's countless verses and there's countless scriptures that teach us man following after his own ways usually don't work out so well. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seem right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you follow your own self-interest, if you follow the things that you think of right, they could be leading you to the ways of death if they don't match up with the scripture. Another one is Proverbs 30, verse 12. It says, There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their own filthiness. There's countless people that they want to follow after their own ways and, the, and instead they just haven't been washed in, in the watery graves of baptism and just wash away their sins and follow after Christ. Instead of following after your own self-interest and what you think is right or what you feel like doing, just turn to God. Deny yourself and follow after Him. 
So how do we make sure that we're actually following Christ? We know he's the only way and he's the truth and the life. He's the only way that we're going to get to heaven and have forgiveness of sins. We know that there's countless of other people or teachings and all these different things we can follow after. How do we make sure we're actually following the way, the Christ? Well, the first thing is you have to know the Lord and you have to obey the gospel. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I want you to grasp this image just for a minute. You're standing at the judgment throne with billions of people. You're standing there, and there is many, many people that say, Lord, look at all the things we've done in your name. Look at how we have prophesied for you. Look at how we've cast out devils for you. Now, Jesus did not say they didn't do that, did he? He did not correct them and say, you didn't do that stuff. So it gives you an indication that they did. But he will say, depart from me that I never knew you. So how do we make sure that we know Christ? Well, we know him and he knows us when we obey him and, and obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. It says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Listen to this. They know not God, and they obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God knows you, and you know God when you've obeyed him in baptism, when you've obeyed that gospel. That's how you can rest assured that you're following after Christ and that he knows you and you're one of his. So what is the gospel and how do we obey it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel, spiritually translated, means good news. And isn't that good news for us? That Christ, the only Son of God, the one that He could offer the pure blood that was unspotted from the world, sinless, that He was willing to come and die for us, and that He was buried and He was resurrected. And He was resurrected so that He could defeat death, and we have an opportunity to defeat death as well. That is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So now the question is, how do we obey that? How do we obey the story that Jesus was died and he was buried and resurrected? Well, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, it says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You obey the gospel by baptism. You're buried with him in baptism. You raise up a new man in baptism. 
That is how you obey the gospel. That's how God knows you. That's how you know God. And that's how you can rest assured that you are following that, that way that leads to heaven. The last thing we need to make sure is after we have obeyed the gospel, then what do we do continually? We continually test everything against the scriptures, against the word of God. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received their word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. We look at this scripture a lot, and we talk about the Bereans and how noble they were, and how great these Bereans were. What made them great? What made them great was that they received the words that Paul and Silas were teaching. They received it with readiness of mind. What that means is they had a sober mind. They were openness. They were listening. They were ready to hear what Paul and Silas said. However, being open and being ready to listen and eager to hear, that does not mean you believe it for truth instantly. The second step is you search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You test everything that you hear against the Bible. If it matches up with what the Word of God says, it's the truth. If it doesn't match up with what the Word of God says, it is not the truth. And we can follow the same example as well. So how we make sure that we're following Christ is we know the Lord, we obey Him in baptism, and we test everything that we hear against the Scriptures. So in conclusion, if you're not following Christ today, I want you to ask the question, who are you following? Or who are you allowing to keep yourself from following Christ? Is it different preachers or teachers? Is it celebrities that you watch on TV? Is it different family, whether living or deceased? Is it friends that have an influence over you? Is it yourself? Are you allowing yourself to follow what you want to do instead of following Christ? It's either Christ or it's someone else. John chapter 6, verse 66 and 69. Many that time, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more. You know, it, it, it's been said over and over again that many people will not follow Christ. And it's an unfortunate truth. And I'm hopeful that many people in this room will follow Christ. And that this statement won't ever be said about us. Jesus then asked the twelve, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's answer, to whom shall we go, is, an answer, is a question that we need to ask ourselves every day. Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to follow today? Are we going to be Christians? Are we going to be disciples of Christ, soldiers for His gospel to spread it to other people? Or are we going to follow somebody else? To whom shall we go? Christ is asking us all this question today, will you also turn away? And, and I hope you all have the same answer as Peter. So Christ has the words of life. He is that Christ. He is the Son of God. And He is the only one that can offer the pure blood for forgiveness of your sins. If there's anybody here this morning that you have not decided to follow Christ, I hope this lesson was what took it over the hill so that you would decide to follow Him. We have everything that we need where you can obey the gospel, you can know Him, and you can be known of Him. That you can obey Him in baptism, we can go right down the road to the lake, and we can take care of that. If there's anybody here who would like to do that this morning, please let us know. 
So that way you can rest assured you are following the only way to heaven, which is through Christ. If there's anybody here who feels like they've been struggling, maybe you need a little bit of help, it's our responsibility and it's our privilege as your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you any way we can. We can pray with you. We can study with you. We can help hold you accountable if there's anything that's, that's continually getting you off track. We can do whatever it takes to make sure that you stay true to that path, which is to heaven. Our goal as brothers and sisters is to help all of each other get to heaven. I want to see all of you get there, and I hope you want to see me get there too. And if there's something that you're struggling with, just let us know. There's no judgment. There's no thing that, that can get you to, to not follow after Christ. Just help us. Let us help you. If there be one of either class that we can help, just let your request be made known. Come have a seat on one of these front pews as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.